And we are recording. Dr. Bill Selig, I could not be happier to be talking to you right now. I wanted to just keep talking to you off mic for another hour, but you know, I have to hit record. We have to get into it. So welcome to the beautiful Voyager podcast. Thank you. Yeah, um, thank you. We have known each other for years. We've known each other for many years. We were just talking about how I, you, you were one of my early calls, maybe when I was starting beautiful Voyager, because you are a psychotherapist. And do you remember how I got in touch? I don't even remember like what, what led to me to get in touch with you about that. Well, I don't know. I mean, we knew each other uh, personally through my wife. Right. Um, And so I guess we, you know, talked a little bit about I mean, I remember you telling me about uh, this interest and project that you were working on. And um, I don't know, at a certain point, uh, you were like, he's a psychotherapist. I was like, you know what? (laughs) That kind of of psycho is the one for me, therapist. Um, I (laughs) I feel like I've learned so much more about your work, though, now that I have read your new book. When your partner uh, has bipolar disorder, that's a, that is a good, strong topic. Helping you and your partner build a balanced and healthy relationship. Can you tell me how this book came to be, Bill? Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, actually, uh, the publisher, the Rockridge Press and Callisto Media is the company. They approached me, actually. Um, they. Uh, uh, they do, they're doing, I guess, I don't know what you would call it, maybe data-driven publishing. Like they did kind of market research first and, and identified an unaddressed niche, basically. And they said, you know, this is a, you know, the, the market uh, or the world wants a book like this. Let's go find someone to write it. Uh, and that's how it came to be. I mean, they approached me and I was like, definitely, because, um, I don't know. I mean, every it's was very. It wasn't hard to write the book because I'm basically writing down stuff that I've been saying to people that I work with for years. So it's all like I could. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the knowledge was all right there. The knowledge was all right there, like a like a sea full of fish, and you just had to like reel them in one after the next. Yeah, or like dump them all out on this on the pages. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it was, I was very excited because it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, well, this is something I feel competent to talk about and help people with. And, and I've learned how to talk about it in a way that I think helps people. And now someone wants me to like put it all out there so a bunch of people can benefit, not just the people that I'm meeting with in my office. Um, it's awesome. You know, I was really excited about it. And you had worked before on um, a revision this is interesting to me. I want to know more about this. A revision of the psychotherapy for bipolar disorder treatment track at Kaiser Permanente. So that was in 2014. So, so what was that? Like, what was it before? And then what was it after? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Um, hmm. uh, was it before or was it after? <sighs> like, why did it need a revision? Why oh, did it yeah. need a revision? Right. Well, um, there were certain, you know, everything that 
Kaiser does is very uh, uh, research based. You know, they uh, they want to make sure that what they're doing is cost effective. That's you know, um, they're all about that. Uh, and um, so there are elements of the program. The way that that program works is um, there was a class called Bipolar 101. So it, let's say you get diagnosed with bipolar disorder at Kaiser. The first thing is go to Bipolar 101. It's a one-time class. Uh, it was one of the things that I taught while I was there. I did that one. And then from there, there was a group that was um, like a bipolar education and support group. That's what it was called. And you would enter that group and it went on. And then there was also a support group component. It was sort of like people wanted to have an ongoing, people didn't want to leave. And Kaiser's always trying to figure out like, how can we give people what they need and not more or less? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give them what they need. And then, you know, I mean, their model is uh, a model of, uh, of empowerment, self-empowerment, like they don't want people to be dependent on care is how they would say. Um, and so uh, we were kind of looking at that, I think was the impetus of the revision was to look at that because a lot of people with bipolar disorder want ongoing support. Mm. And, you know, one of the things I write about in the book is it's a very helpful thing to be going to a peer support group or to an ongoing and ongoing psychotherapy is also even ongoing supportive psychotherapy that isn't necessarily focused on like change or teaching people to do things differently. It's just supportive, just supportive um, is very well. I mean, it's, um, it's important and it's, it is research supported uh, in fact for bipolar disorder. But that has to kind of be established because not that's not the case for all uh, psychiatric illnesses. It's not. It is. You know, yes, for sure. Um, ongoing support is helpful for anybody with anything. Um, but how needed is it? Like, how much is it worth that money that it would cost to do that? Right. I mean, some things are more um, mm, resolvable. Right. Yeah. Like a, a, a phobia, for instance, like if you have a specific phobia, you're wanting to, to get up, be able to air travel and you can't air travel right now. Let's work on that until you can get on an airplane and then you don't need ongoing support. But this is different. This is a chronic condition. Um, and so that's why, yeah, that project for me was about really doing a full survey of the literature and understanding what's there and also what's not there. I mean, that's always the question with the literature. Also, like you want to say, well, we provide evidence-based treatment. There's no evidence for th this. But if there's no evidence, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not helpful. It just means there's no evidence yet. Or it hasn't been studied in that way. It hasn't been studied. Yeah, yeah. exactly. How has um, the entire topic of bipolar disorder changed in your career time? Like yeah. where, when you started, when you wrote your dissertation, like where were we and where are we now? Mm, mm. That's a good question. Um, Just hmm. because when I was little, manic depression, right? Isn't that what it used to be called when I was little? Yeah. A long time ago, 70s, 70s, 80s, early 80s, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I, 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 uh, I mean, because it's a second career for me, it hasn't actually been that long. Like for me, when I did all that research, it was 2000 and uh 
14 or something. Oh, I didn't realize it was that recent. Oh, okay. 13, 14. I was a postdoc uh, at Kaiser. Um, So, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, the medicines keep developing uh, and the knowledge about the medicines keep developing. And, you know, ketamine is a newer thing that some people are using for uh, bipolar disorder and TMS. That's a new thing that's on the scene. Um, Is it hard for you to stay up on these like how do you stay up on what's happening if it's so evolving yeah um i mean i i read about it i keep up on on it um uh i think i keep my eyes open and there's uh some journals that i read and stuff like that but there has not been um a sort of distinct like this is the thing to do there's no obvious answers when it comes to medication or treatments, right? Or right. what? It's different. Yeah. It's yeah, it's I mean there's there's a lot of different medications that you can try and um none of them work the same for every person. So it's just impossible to predict. It's like okay, well there's, you know, 10 different things that we could use as mood stabilizers, some of which are also uh what's called an antipsychotic um and these are also can be used for mood stabilizers but for some people, this medicine, uh, you know, um, helps bring you down, uh, but can knock you way down. But for some people, when you give them this medicine, it actually brings them up and stabilizes them. And I don't know which of those. That has always bugged me so much, Bill. I can't stand it. I hate the idea of like, even for myself with my SSRI, having to take it and be like, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. What happens. I know. (laughs) But I guess it's because we're human beings and there is no perfect science for our incredibly varied brains and body right. chemistries. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what, what you think. What do you think? I mean, uh, to me, it seems like brain, brain science is still quite young and primitive. It's, so, it's a little infant. It's a, the tiniest little infant. There's right. so much that we're just starting to understand. And, and right. definitely the resources is, have not been given to it. Yeah. So I I'm agree hopeful, with you. I'm hopeful that there will be uh, that it won't well, maybe not that far in the future, relatively speaking, that people always say like, well, I wish I could have a brain scan or a blood test that will diagnose this and then I know. instruct oh the medication to take. And it's starting to cut with the SSRIs, right? The blood test, there's these blood tests now. It's yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, I Here are some things I love about your book. Um, it's very easy to read. It's it makes a lot of sense in terms of how it's organized, and you use case studies or just stories of people in such helpful ways. Um, was it hard for you to come up with the right stories at the right time? Did you just have like enough stories in your world to be able to like gather them together? How did that go? Hmm. Yeah, it's funny because actually the stories was the hardest part of the writing for sure. Not because I haven't encountered all of that, all of those things that I wrote about, um, but because I'm not a natural storyteller. It's like not my, like making up a story is not my forte. Uh, And all of the stories in there are, they're all amalgamations. They're not, you know, they're not like this person that I, you know, worked with. I mean, some of them are like that. but yeah, 
finding the right story or making the right story to match the content of the chapters. That was, uh, that was the hardest of all of the pieces. And I actually think that's why it's so good. I mean, it, it, th th there's a lot of factual information and that factual information is well described and it's approachable, but um, it's the, it's the stories that really help pop it to life. Hmm. Um, well, what feels good. I'm yeah. glad that, that, you know, I did okay on that. <laughs> you did okay on that. Um, what is your dream for what happens with the book? Like, how are you hoping people will come to it or when will they use it? Oh yeah. Um, I, I, maybe I have in, maybe I have, um, uh, inflated idea of how many people would benefit from it. But I just feel like when I talk to people about my work in general, if I tell them that I work with bipolar disorder, like so many people kind of perk up and are mm -hmm. like, oh, I know somebody who, like so many people have somebody that they, either that a friend that they love who is in a relationship or uh, someone in their family or whatever. And I guess, I think because it is a very, um, it can be a very difficult, uh, you know, impactful condition when somebody has it it can impact the system around them their family the support system so much um you know maybe that's why so many people respond but pe people do respond so i have it in my head anyways that it's that a lot of people are going to uh, when they find out about it uh want it you know i mean mo mostly i would think people for, that it's a newer diagnosis like you know, most of what's in the book, if you've been living with this, you know, for 20 years with a partner, you know, I don't know how much you need this book, you might be interested, uh, but probably you could write it yourself, or a lot of it, you know what I mean? So I, I do, I, I hope for it, I think the, I think of the audience as mostly or more so anyways, people who really don't know anything about it. Or just wondering, like, is that what's going on? I had like a depressive episode, I had this, like with my partner, and Right. That seems like it's a great fit. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is just my perspective working in sort of mental health writing, but I feel like the stigma around bipolar has radically changed in the past five years or so. It yeah. could just be my knowledge, though. It could be my knowledge. I do, do you think that's true? Like, no, what have I you do. seen? Yes, no, for sure. Yeah, because of the amount of celebrities, I think. Um, who've come out and talked about it uh, uh, openly. Um, but it's been, I mean, really, really positive uh, development, I think, in terms of stigma. There's still, you know, you see the um, depictions in the media, the movies and, and TV and stuff, and, you know, some of them, you know, uh, feel unhelpful to me, uh, but more and more and more, they seem like, you know, well done. And like that, that this is going to, it's getting better. They're getting more sophisticated in their knowledge. They're like yeah. starting to get it. Yes. I think you're right about that for sure. And so yeah. you had this, your dissertation specifically was creativity and bipolar disorder. And what drew you to that? And like, what are some of the things that you've learned in your practice around creativity and bipolar? Yeah. I mean, they're so, uh, they are definitely linked. Um, you know, what I was exploring in my dissertation was 
there, you know, there's a difference between, there's a very clear, well-documented uh, um, connection between bipolar disorder and uh, what they call um, uh, eminent creativity. So if you look at the population of people who have uh, been recognized as, you know, geniuses or, you know, have achieved a lot, the, there's a higher proportion of that population has bipolar disorder than mm. the general population. What I, was look, what I was looking at was whether there was a, a connection with everyday creativity and that that has not been. So in other words, like, yeah, can you see that, you know, people who have bipolar disorder tend to be somewhat more creative than, you know, people who are so not. So you're saying like at the extreme level of creativity that we know, a high portion of those or higher than average yes. is bipolar. But then you're wondering with like the rest of the bipolar world, are we also seeing elevated creativity? Right. Yes. That's exactly right. That's and right. and what do you what do you uh, what have you found so far? So it's not there's there's no conclusive evidence about it. Um, yeah, the data set that I was looking at didn't show. Yeah, didn't show a significant linkage. Um, and yeah, that's not. So it's a really interesting question, though. I mean, if you think about like, you know, Vincent Van Gogh is like the classic. Example. No, I was like, obviously it's Van Gogh, right? Obviously. Right. Right. Classic example. Right. And then you can wonder like, huh, if he had had medicine or if he had had a less severe case, you know, would he have, you know, had such a, a output? Um, and it's hard to know. It's hard to know. But the, the other thing, if I could say one more thing about it, is interesting um, to me anyways, the um, there's, you know, the evolutionary biology perspective is, would say, like, well, why is this thing still around? Mm. You know, it's not a virus. It's not contagious. Like, wouldn't this get selected out of mm. the population if it was such a deficit? So there's that. It's a great question. Yeah. It's so. a great question. You know, something interesting that we talk about a lot in my my work at Pinterest, my, my job, is um, around creativity and emotional well-being, and we're we're often saying like, does helping someone's emotional well-being help them with creativity? Considering what we've seen with creativity of these cases, like we're describing, these sort of like extreme creative cases, mm. Um, mm. and I I have a feeling that the answer is something like, in extreme cases, it there's one set of information and then, but bringing sort of the rest of the world to a level of emotional well-being may help with creativity. I'm just very uh, curious about uh, that topic oh, because I want to make the argument that, you know, creativity is a path towards emotional well-being that helping yourself understand how to be creative and have creative outlets can help your overall well-being and your emotional well-being. Right. Um, just always thinking about that correlation. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, I'm sort of taking in what you said. Yeah. I mean, that's two different ways of like, you. I mean, creative activities are stress relieving usually, right? Yes. So it's like saying like, if you're, oh, you're super stressed out. Well, are you exercising? You know, is one thing. And yeah. So um it's good for your and, well-being yeah. to do creative stuff. That's one. But then another side is like out, like output, outcome. 
if you are, if you are in, if you are the same person and in one state you are sort of feeling better or you're in a better emotional state, like, does that help you become more creative? Those, both of those are like the two areas that I'm curious about. Right. Yeah. And it gets really complicated in, in bipolar disorder because the answer is for many people, yes. When I am, when I have having a, an actual clinical mood episode of hypomania or mood elevation, I am actually more. Creative. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I know God, it's always so messy. If there was, it's such a rough one. If there were something that you could learn that you don't already know about bipolar, like, let's just say the science were there or a study were able to be done. What, what would it be? What are you very curious about that you haven't been able to figure out? Mm. I mean, we were just talking about one of the main curiosities that I have. Is the creativity, yeah, the yeah, creativity piece, um, you know. But there's other ones too. Um, I don't know. I mean, something about this like question that people are left with with this uh, with this condition of like you know, which me is the real me? Mm. How can I be, you know, people want to be able to be in that hypomanic range, right? And I guess I sort of wonder how good we can get at, um, at fiddling with our moods, you know, because there's a lot of fiddling more and more these days with the micro dosing and all sorts of, you know, um, all sorts of optimizations, mood optimizations. Yeah. Yeah. And that stuff comes into play. People are with bipolar disorder often uh, doing stuff to try to control their mood. Some of which are some of the things people do are very unhelpful um, or the, the things that destabilize the condition generally are things that people are doing to try to control their mood and they're, and they're ineffective. Um, but there are things that are effective. Like yoga is effective for, for helping by, you know, bipolar disorder and helping everybody control their mood. So, you know, wouldn't it be nice if you had bipolar disorder and you knew what it was like to be in that hypomanic state, you know, could you somehow, you know, keep yourself a little bit higher than your, you know, you know how good can we get at modulating? Super interesting. What is bipolar often comorbid with? Like, what are the other things that tend to come with it? Yeah, I mean, the biggest one is substance use, substance abuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, For this exact reason. I mean, there's just no better way to manipulate your mood than a substance. Um, So that's the And so then you're dealing often with a partner. You probably are like, trying to pull out these different threads, right? Right. What do you mean when you say pull out? Like that, that if your partner has bipolar, maybe they probably, there is a chance, elevated chance. They also have substance abuse issues. Yeah. And you're like trying to figure out what's what and, you know. Right. Yeah. And it is important to, to see it holistically and to see, like, I, I I responded to your use of the word thread because I think it's a really good word because it's like, and if you use that image, people are tapestries with yeah. lots of different threads, right? So if you pull 
you know, I mean, yeah, I need to not feel depressed. And so if I use this substance, then I don't feel depressed. Okay. Okay. Like, and that works in that way, but then it also has these other effects. So what if you don't pull on that one? Is there some other kind of thread or some other way that you can pull so that you don't feel as depressed? Um, I, beautiful Voyager is for people pleasers, perfectionists, and overthinkers. How does that group, which I think of as like generalized anxiety disorder world, mm. overlap or not with bipolar world? Mm. Mm. That's interesting. I, well, I'm curious to hear your reflection on, on this, what I'm about to say, and then I'll ask you a question. When you uh, say people pleaser to me in the context of bipolar disorder, I think caregiver and I think, mm. uh, you know, codependency or like, you know, um, yeah, like I'm taking care of, it wouldn't have to be bipolar disorder. It could be any, mm -hmm. um, right? Anybody with uh, uh, who's in a caregiver position. Mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. I'm set up to sacrifice my own needs to take care of this other person's needs, which is exactly what a people pleaser does right so yes. i don't think of that i don't think of that as uh, although I, but i can see it general anxiety disorder it, it's just anxiety absolutely um but it sets you up i guess you wouldn't have to be general anxiety disorder to be set up in that in that way yeah absolutely um which by the way i definitely have my own i think everybody <laughs> is really everybody I want to say everybody, many people are unbalanced one way or the other, you know, more of a, I'm more of a taker, I'm more of a giver. Um, and so I think it's really cool that you're attending to that. Uh, it's you know, nice when, when there can be, if you're in a relationship there, you can find some matching there on some of right. those traits. Yeah. But, and not be too out of whack. And not be too out of whack. Right. And like learn to push to like help balance yourself too. Yeah, for sure. Right. So this awareness building that you're doing is so, um, I just really like that. I like that you're doing it. It feels important, you know? I, it's, it's, um, it's helpful for me. <laughs> it helps me. It helps me feel like uh, I'm seeing the conversations I want to see in the world with people like you. Like, you know, you get to talk to your patients and you get to write a book, but let's keep pulling it out and getting it out into the world more. Yeah. It's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's helpful for me. It was helpful for me to write that chapter too, because I do, uh, yeah, if anything, I'm on that unbalanced side of the people pleaser side, right? So writing that chapter about the boundaries and stuff, you know, I mean, that's all stuff that I know and that I work with people around all that stuff, but every time I go over it and see it in, in different people's relationships, because it looks a little bit different each time, um, you know, it's a heightening awareness, right? As we all, yes, think, it's okay to be. So my personality was kind of molded to be more of a people, more of a giver than a taker. That's okay. Like the main thing is that we are developing insight into it as adults, and then we can make choices and, you know, learn to do things differently and stuff like that. How early in life does bipolar start exhibiting itself? I mean, it can be really early. I, they're diagnosing kids down to like four or five years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had so, no idea. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, mm, 
I'm not informed enough about the research to say what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say <laughs> it, which is like, I feel a little bit dubious about a diagnosis that early in a kid's life. Cause it's like the kid is understandably. Still yeah. Understandably. So many environmental factors and stuff, but there does seem to be like, yeah, you could see certainly, you know, an 11 year old, um, you can start to see these patterns if they're episodic, you know, there's a, a long period of time when they're depressed and you're hearing maybe some really dark stuff out of them. And then there's periods of time when they're having this burst of, you know, happiness and, and it's, it's periodic. That's the main thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, this looks different than, you know, mood regulation, which is what, then that looks different. Yeah. Uh, like reactivity, mood reactivity and emotional regulation, that stuff looks like it looks like reactive like oh when something bad happens then this person gets really depressed when something good happens they get really excited that's different that's not bipolar disorder like bipolar disorder is when we see it in a long period of time of depression. without these kickoff without sort of more traceable events exactly exactly and it's a real tell when you see the opposite when you see like wow this person you know got a raise at work and they're just coming home flopping on the couch and being like yeah i don't deserve this you know i feel yeah. terrible about myself that i got this raise and it's like oh hmm, maybe you're depressed mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely but there is a leader at my company who has spoken openly about her own bipolar journey and i find it incredible i mean I am so in awe of leaders in very visible positions who um, share these stories. And I just always want to encourage people to, um, to do that because I think it, it just makes a huge difference. So brave. I know. I know. But hopefully it'll be less and less brave because it'll be more and more right. unstigmatized. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's awesome. That's using a, their place of power um, yes. to change the world. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, do you have anything that you would like to share? Anything that you've just been like chewing on and haven't gotten to talk about in another environment that you would like to share with the beautiful Voyager audience? Hmm. Um, well, hmm. I mean, I was talking a little bit about it just a second ago. I'm very uh, interested in the overlap of these diagnoses of bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder, mm. um, which are totally different uh, um, situations, uh, but they get confused a lot. And the borderline personality disorder you know, and some other things also, which call, which get called personality disorders, which in and of itself, I have a big problem with that language. Um, uh, they, they look like the reactivity. That's what they look like. Um, and they're, they're learned behaviors that can be unlearned. You know, you can learn how to modulate your reaction when something good happens or something bad happens, you can learn how to do that differently. And if somebody is reacting in a way that, you know, society wants to call disordered, you know, you have to really look at society and you have to look at the context and you have to, you know, why is the person doing that? And, and maybe they're not, maybe the, maybe the pathology doesn't lie in the individual, right? 
Um, and then there's, uh, you know, I'm very interested and involved in treatment that helps people unlearn uh, habits that maybe they learned because they were raised in invalidating environments or went through a lot of trauma or, you know, so I'm really interested in how trauma impacts personality. Mm, that's that's really fascinating. One of my, one of my main interests. And, uh, and this is so totally different. This is an organic brain chemistry situation where, you know, you can't unlearn you can't like learn how to not have bipolar disorder. You right, can learn, right. You can learn how to make your life more stable and therefore cope better with the condition and have the condition be less disruptive to your life, which is awesome that you can do that. And these things then interact with each other also because there is comor comorbidity there too. And it's rough if you have both borderline personality disorder or you know emotion regulation stuff and you also have bipolar disorder, they feed off each other. And oh my God. It sounds like hell to me when I hear that. That just sounds like hell. It's really hard, but it's- I mean, each of those is so difficult. The thought of both is just really, yeah. But then, I mean, it's a, the treatment miracle that I've seen is with the borderline personality disorder stuff, which again, I mean, I kind of use that, I use it label because I, because people- recognize it and right. some people some people know what it is you know right uh, uh yeah but the the thing that's the treatment miracle is that it can go into remission if you want to talk about it as a and that's through dbt right through dbt yeah 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 and other but dbt can help other people too that's the interesting thing right it's like this way of thinking and this way of yeah yeah can help everybody i mean it's helped me a lot uh, it's just about living skillfully and mm -hmm. that's what yeah. works for bipolar disorder for that exact reason. Like, you know, you need the psychiatrist to help you with the chemistry. Uh, but it also matters if you're living a stable lifestyle. It also matters if your relationships are stressful. It also matters if you, you know, can address what's making it so that you're not staying on your medication, or if you can get the substance use off board or all these lifestyle issues the DBT can help with that because, you know, it's, it is hard to make those kinds of changes and there's reasons why, and then there's skills that you can learn and a framework in which you can learn them to make new habits. And that can make you, so you have bipolar disorder, but guess what? You're functioning a heck of a lot better than someone who doesn't have any psychiatric illnesses and yet, you know, behaves unskillfully. Yeah. It doesn't have the skills. Yeah. Cool. Bill, I'm so glad that you're out there helping people. I mean, I feel like we're lucky to have you. <laughs> Feeling is mutual. Oh, thank you so much for joining me here. I feel like I'm learning so much from you, from your book, but also just getting to talk to you. It's, I look forward to getting to talk to you again for your next book. <laughs> we'll see about that. Uh, we'll see about that one. This one is a lot out of me. But um, thank you. And, and, I, and yeah, and I, I want to say like, you know, that piece, like you said, somebody at your company, um, uh, you know, just uh, coming out and like, you know, the, what you're doing of creating dialogue and making it like taking the shame away from, yeah, everybody struggles with anxiety. Guess what? Everybody does struggle with anxiety, right? And, then, and just creating space for conversation and, um, 
an insight into like, how does this work? And oh, how does it work for you? Oh yeah, that's how it works for me too. And how do you deal with it? Oh, and that's like, and let's not be ashamed about it. Um, what you're doing is really uh, um, sort of right there. And I think it's so important. I mean, I just think shame messes us up in so Thank many Thank you. Ways. I feel that way. I, I feel so curious about these topics. Like just, I'm filled with curiosity and interest. And that is, it's hard for me to relate to people that are so stigmatized and shamed, feel so much shame around it. Though I certainly know that's what society does, but I'm just filled with curiosity. So to me, it's just a really interesting topic that is um, sort of like someone's life story. Like, where were you born? Where do you live? Like, how did you get there? What did you do? You know, these are just all, um, they're almost like facts, factual experiences or something. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's what you're talking about. I hear it as you're just coming from a really non-judgmental place, really just curious, like how curious. does all this stuff work? And that's, <laughs> that's how shame goes away. Is yeah. Curious and not hide from things that are important to talk about. So I really, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's such a, that's such an honor coming from you. Um, thank you, Bill. <laughs>